hello and welcome to this latest Placetech podcast with me, Paul Unger, editor of Placetech. I'm speaking to you from the UK where we are still recovering from three storms in less than a week, Dudley, Eunice and Franklin. Uh, very fitting as today we will be discussing the implications of changing weather patterns for planning and property in general. Joining me to do just that is Jeremy Hines, planning director at Savills and something of a planning futurist. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Paul. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, so lo long before the recent storm events, Jeremy, you've been interested in how our cities need to adapt to climate change, uh, particularly prompted by some very good research by the Met Office and various universities and others. Um, can you start by just setting the scene and, and, and explain to our listeners what are the forces at work here and the factors we need to think about, please? Yeah, I think um, I mean the 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 work undertaken by the uh, the Met Office, etc., as you point out, um, um, in, in a series of sort of output publications, um, which um, are a series of pathways exploring what might happen if there are a series of what if scenarios, really, and um, and they they're really based upon I think two answers to the what if, and the first answer is what if what we are doing works. And what if it doesn't work? Um, but I've also postulated a third question, which is, um, are, what, are, what are we not doing as well? Um, and I think the scenarios that the, the, the Met Office and the university team have um, um, put, put out um, bring into focus the, the, a trajectory of where we as a society might end up and what we might need to do in order to bring about the sorts of changes that are increasingly understood as necessary if we are going to have places and buildings in which we can live comfortably and tolerate the world that may well be a, a new encountered world in the not too distant future yeah. and so and so what the question for me is what role does planning have in that as it's our principal means by which we regulate, design, and understand how buildings and places should um, adapt or be adapted in order to allow us to have a comfortable, tolerable um, lifestyle, something that we've been accustomed to. Yeah. And, and by chance, of course, I only, only thought this through last night, um, next year will be the, the 75th year of the since the uh, 1948 Town and Country Planning Act first um, came into being. Um, and we've got to stop looking at the basis for which we've been designing people, uh, sorry, places for people, something that we've looked at for the last 75 years. The next 75 years is going to be a very different uh, perspective on the same question. So, so, so how might we adapt and change the way that uh, we, we create places and buildings, just sort of bring it to life for, for people a bit? So we, we've, got, um, we've got two, two um, major impacts that everybody can readily and quickly understand. Um, the, the first is the, the series of um, impacts that we have just experienced over the last 10 days or so in terms of winter storms and very wet weather. Um, and then the second impact um, is something that we um, 
are increasingly experiencing um, in our summer months where it's um, substantially notably hotter than it has been. Um, and the length of time it gets hotter for seems to be increasing. So I think we've got, and, and, and that, that latter um, impact seems to be much more regionally focused. Um, and it seems to affect more of the South and Southeast in particular than it does the North and Northwest. So I think what we've got is two emerging big scenarios about dealing with water, um, rainfall, storm outputs, et cetera, and dealing with heat. Um, and we're probably not very good at having a, a system of planning um, regulations that allow us to deal with both. Um, but it's probably more the heat issue that is going to be the more problematic one because we don't have any systems in place that deal with heat, whereas we can have systems in place that deal with um, excessive rainfall. They can be improved drainage, they can be don't build on land prone to flooding and so on. They're relatively easily understood, but heat is a completely different issue. And, and so we're talking about potential changes in planning and legislation and policy. Um, and, and then within that, we're talking about individual decision makers like planning inspectors, judges, etc. Um, and obviously the ministers setting the policy. Are we starting to see any, any noises yet or any decisions that are interesting where climate and modifying buildings and places has, has already come, come into importance? Yes, um, we've um, we we've got um, a context now where uh, individual inspectors and individual planning authorities are beginning to get to grips with how on earth buildings which have and we forget this sometimes they have a, a, a longevity attached to them. Our association with the building itself, say our home, might be relatively short-lived if we choose to move on for whatever reason, but. The building itself is designed to last for a substantially longer period than we might engage with it. Um, and so local authorities and uh, inspectors at planning appeals are having to take a much longer term view of buildings. And indeed, they always have done. So we've seen for um, um, really, I think I think it's my first uh, um, uh, piece of evidence on this, where we've had an appeal decision on the 15th of February for a um, for a residential scheme in London, where the inspector took a view that the design of the building um, and the ability of the future occupants of that building to live comfortably were not sufficiently well in, uh, adapted, nor were they sufficiently thought through in order to withstand the effects of climate change and actively dismissed an appeal um, on the basis, and, and he said this, um, that significant harm would arise in relation to the quality and comfort of accommodation for future res residents in terms of overheating in climate change conditions. So we are beginning to get individual decisions and individuals looking at this as a real um, indicator for decision making. But we haven't got to debate more widely as to what does that mean in practice and how does not just the community involved in planning, but also the developers and the investors behind all of those decisions, how did they engage 
in, in the questions that are now being raised and what do they need to think about if they're going to respond to those questions? How, mm. how do they design buildings? How do they design places? And, and, and you mentioned that, that that decision was in London. You've already hinted that there's some regional difference. I think that's an interesting area to explore. Um, London, the southeast, typically will be uh, warmer than parts of the north of, uh, of England and the UK. Um, and, and so this has a regional governance implication and city regions and devolution and leveling up. Um, talk us through some, some of those factors, please. Well, you need to, I think, um, pay some regard to the regional disparities. Let's, if we just focus on heating and overheating for now, um, some of the regional disparities. So um, we can reasonably forecast that despite the weather we're experiencing at the moment, that come um, the, the, the peak summer months, June, July, we could understand or, or expect to see our weather maps showing temperatures of 32, 33 degrees centigrade. Um, and, and, and no doubt there'll be lots of um, 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 talk about how hot it is and so on at the time. Now, um, th that, that, that is um, something that we can safely understand is like to happen and it will probably last a couple of days and there will be a slow build up to it and probably the sort of um, three sunny days and a thunderstorm does the summer make um, uh, come true. But um, but moving on, in, um, uh, looking not too far ahead, those three or four days might now become three or four weeks, um, which might end up being the three months of summer. Um, and it might be a prolonged period on, of 32 to 38 to 4 degrees. In other words, we can understand that parts of the UK may get sustained high temperatures, which are much more akin to something that we would see in parts of the Middle East and parts of um, the, the hottest parts of Southeast uh, Europe. So, um, And so the question is, have we got a system in place where people can survive those um, extremes. Um, we, we don't have building systems and a building regulatory control system that allows for the exchange of heat um, and the loss of heat. In fact, our systems are almost designed the other way around. Um, and, and if we say, well, what about the ability for people to move outside and cool down outside? Well, if you've got those levels of heat, um, then a it becomes potentially unsafe to be exposed just to the direct sun causing and the air causing that heat but also it means you can't cool down you're looking for shade you're not looking for exposure to yet more heat um we don't create public and open spaces with creating shade in mind the, the best we get to is creating shelter and and why why is regional decision making and the flexibility rather than a national one size fits all policy relevant in this discussion because if you because it would be unlikely and, and the the emerging evidence strongly suggests that the extremes of heat in particular will be felt more closely in uh, fully rather in the south and east and as you move north and west um, it becomes less intense that's not to say that the north and west will remain significantly cooler but they simply won't be as hot um, uh, and the weather patterns and the the trend line for those patterns seems to broadly indicate that so you end up creating 
the, a, a series of subsidiary questions, all of which focus on how do we create regional regulatory differences that allow different regions to respond to the different needs accordingly. In other words, a one-size-fits-all policy is unlikely to work. And if it doesn't work, going back to the beginning of this conversation, if it doesn't work, then you won't get buy-in from the people who are directly affected by the environmental protection frameworks. And, and, and you've got other big factors at play here, like food provision, resources, uh, coastlines, economic forecasting. There's the, you know, the general allocation of land and the use of, of space that, uh, that it's, it's not just about individual assets and the amount of shade and shelter and things like that. So it's just, just uh, talk us through a little bit about some of the decision making that, um, and the changes we might see around some of those other big macro factors. Well, uh, the, the reason we've been talking about heat is because it's easiest to understand in terms of immediate impacts. But in addition to those, um, if you have flooding um, um, and significant volumes of, um, of, of water congregating in, in um, certain known places, so take Yorkshire. Yorkshire is more prone to flooding than um, our large parts of the northwest of England because of the way the river basin patterns are spread out. Um, and so although you've got the northwest of England, which actually may be the source of excessive rainfall, um, it won't necessarily be the northwest of England that gets directly affected by the consequences of that in terms of um, a longer term flooding. If you've got um, protracted and prolonged periods of excessive heat in the southeast of England and cooler and more um, um, tolerable conditions elsewhere in the UK, could it happen that you get internal migration because people will simply say, I just don't want to live here. It's just not comfortable and begin to move out. And that, that could apply to both um, people on a residential side, i.e. Their, their living environment, um, but also people on their working side. Um, i.e. Um, their working environment. And they just simply might say, I just, I just don't need, I just don't need this. Um, and, and given the um, changes in working patterns and living patterns that have arisen as a result of the pandemic, one of the factors that now is a serious question is the flexibility of people's choices in terms of where they choose to live and work. So, so we are increasingly faced with the reality that if we don't create sensible um, buildings and places that are able to withstand the changes in weather that are, are becoming realistic, do we end up make, making a society where it, it fundamentally changes some of its core structures? And, and given that consultation, public consultation, and you know, the statutory role that plays the the serious blocking impact that um, objectors can have and delay or, or completely cancel schemes. What do you think might be the response from local residents and businesses to a more regional, flexible planning regime to cope with, with different weather patterns around the UK and, and elsewhere? Uh, well, well, uh, just picking up the elsewhere point first, one of the um, 
one of the factors that we can't ignore is that um, weather patterns aren't isolated to the shores of the UK. Um, and we saw the effects of, I think it was, yes, yeah, Storm Eunice and how it co continued to create um, devastation across the Netherlands, the low-lying countries and into Germany. So, so we have to expect that if we are going to experience fairly extreme, well, what we would currently call extreme um, weather patterns that then become more normalised here in the UK, then will the same thing be happening elsewhere? And, and we already have forecasts that show that in those parts of the, of the world, so the, the, the Middle East and so on, and the hottest parts of the world today, where they experience temperatures in the uh, mid-40s on a regular basis, the, the current forecasts are that within 10 to 15 years, those same places will see prolonged and frequent, not just regular, but frequent occurrences of temperatures exceeding um, 50, um, uh, 50 degrees and, and more. So th those places go are going to become inhabitable over the um, longer period, over, over the summer periods anyway. Um, and so you're you're looking at new questions about significant potential for migration patterns um, from parts of the world that are just simply far too difficult to live in. Um, and where do people go? Well, they're going to go to those parts of the world that are cooler. It's as simple as that, just more tolerable. You, you, you've also looked at um, the, the revision to population forecasts um, and and some of the, the changes there on the demographics is that is that something that you think will will have an impact on on how we modify buildings and places as well um it has the potential um it's it it also has the potential to um um create interesting political um tensions as well so the 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 most recent population forecasts have um significantly reduced um the the population estimates um um, from um, the the mid seventies to the low seventies, and they're still going down. This, it, is, this is the UK forecast. This, sorry, this this is yeah, this is the UK. So the mid seventy million is now um, much lower than the uh, the original forecast. Um, so, the, so there's lower birth rates, people having their first child later in life. There's there's various sort of social changes going on. Yes. And so, so, but we've been planning for higher um, numbers of people up until, well, this year, really, when the first forecasts of, of significant downward revision have come out. And the indications of those downward revisions are they are likely to be revised downwards again. Um, um, and and that, that's, that's reflecting a, a global trend um, a, a across advanced economies for reduced um, um, childbirth. Um, what we're what we might end up um, witnessing is the, the strange position of having the need to encourage um, inward migration because we are reducing um, our own natural population uh, rates um, in a policy context where migration is something that is to be uh, resisted um, in, in a world where there is greater tendency for migration to happen anyway. So you you have you have a potential um, significant risk of policy and political um, conflicts in terms of what is trying to be achieved and what needs to be achieved. When when do you see this all playing out? Then are we talking sort of 
in, in, in the next few years or is this a, a very long-term issue? Well, uh, the, 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 Met, the Met Office takes its forecasts uh, um, as far forward as 2100. So we're talking about a time frame that affects um, um, the, the newest of our current generations amongst us and theirs. Um, but the, the beginnings of their forecasts start um, from round about um, uh, 2040. So, so we're talking actually tangibly within nearly everybody's um, ex- life experience as of, of, of now, the majority of people as of now, and certainly um, um, children as of now, um, young adults as of now. So we're not talking about a debate that could be or should be postponed until the beginning of the next century, because by then it will all be too late. And who would you like to see lead on that debate? Where does the onus land? Um, well, in terms of age groups, do you think, or in terms of... Well, um, is, is it up to the government to start that debate? Is it up to, to us, or to, to private sector businesses, advisors? The media, or is it is it irrelevant as long as the debate happens from from somewhere? I think I think in a way there's a strong temptation to say it's irrelevant, providing the debate happens. But if we're talking about a debate that actually looks at what is the effect on building places, buildings and places, what what is going on? Then actually, I think the planning um, system plays an important role in encouraging that debate to take place in a way that encourages people to engage in a conversation about what they would like their places to look like, how they would like them to function, what are the things that are important to them. And we don't have yet um, a, 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 um, a system that allows conversations to fully reflect the expectations and ambitions of everybody um, so, but the planning system is well placed to encourage those debates. It's very well placed to understand how people who live in um, multi-family groups, for example, might want to live their lives and what sort of buildings are necessary for them. We just need to get to grips with that debate. And, and we saw big uh, plans for quite a radical uh, overhaul of planning come out from government in in a draft form last year and that now seems with various changes of uh, personnel that seems to be uh, being sort of rowed back from um do, do you think there is um any noise from government that that they might move towards this um this sort of flexible approach that you you're advocating well i think i think the um the white paper's ambitions that planning should be centralized um, were probably not welcome anyway, but I think events are moving very fast to suggest that actually it was a misplaced ambition anyway. Um, um, and the fact that we now see under the um, levelling up agenda and the um, um, department for levelling up, etc., changes that suggest very strongly that the white paper has seen um, has long seen the light of day. Um, now we've got talk about increasing planning and um, and um, building regulatory powers to the regions, allowing um, the creation of new mayors and mayoral type regions, which will have contained within them planning based 
um, uh, decision-making tools, um, yes, we are seeing the, the, the devolution of planning to a greater extent and the ability of regions to respond to what they think are the needs facing um, them and the demands being placed on them. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and what, what can people do today, tomorrow, in you know, the short term to um, protect the, the, the value of their assets, to make them uh, appealing, attractive to, to, to occupiers, um, given the, 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 the changing climate, changing weather patterns, more extreme uh, westerly you know, storms coming in the winter, um, the, the longer sort of um, uh, hot, hot spells in the summer, heat waves that you know used to be more of a freaky one or two days. Now it goes on for a couple of weeks. Um, how how might people listening that have assets and and plans that they're drawing up um, uh, respond in the short term? I think I think I think short term responses are 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 likely to be difficult. Um, because some of the some of the requirements will be fundamental to the way the building or a building operates and the type of building it is. Um, I mean, if you've got a Victorian house, for example, um, I mean, putting in um, air cooling systems is probably likely to be very expensive. Um, putting in insulation um, is likely to be not only expensive. I mean, the average the average cost of in fully fully insulating a house. And I know um, Insulate Britain are strongly advocating that all houses should be but the cost of doing so is enormous um and and the payback is um too long um i mean i i i, I um, read that a a standard victorian house two-story victorian house with insulated walls insulated roof insulated floors everything was taken out so that you could even get the um uh, floors fully insulated cost in the order of £36,000, um, with a payback of well over 20 years, so in, ter in terms of um, heat savings. So the economic rationale and the economic drive to do something on an individual basis to buildings, at least on the residential sector, doesn't really exist. It's, it's altruistic rather than economic. Um, so for or for the greater good. And to be applauded, but it's impossible or naive to assume that everybody's going to be as altruistic, altruistic as that. So it's, it's not going to happen. So, so on the residential sector, um, with existing stock, difficult. On the commercial stock, um, again, difficult, because we've got um, buildings subject to long-term um, landlord and tenant arrangements, um, and you can't just simply deplace um, existing workforces whilst you retrofit a building. So I think that there's an element of realisation that um, doing doing stuff now to the existing stock is more difficult um, than it should be because we haven't actually taken on board the conversations properly. Um, so, so we need to think about what can we do to our places and the way those buildings function with each other and ensure we begin to get it right with our new stock. Yeah, and, and and finally, how do you think this will will play out? What what do you think we'll get right? What do you think we'll get wrong in the in the next sort of twenty years or so when it comes to to planning and legislation around this? I think I think we'll get the environmental governance framework right. We've got the environment protection, uh, sorry, the environment protection act, 
came in at, in November last year, and that sets up the sort of governance framework. So I think I think we've got that bit right. Um, um, where we where we're going to struggle is getting society buy in. Um, I mean, we've already seen um, in Manchester, for example, a delay in the introduction of the provisions regarding air quality. Um, and that delay, which should have come, those provisions should have come into effect this year, um, are either three or five years away now. Um, and the reason for that is because of the cost imposed upon individuals of complying with air quality requirements in terms of vehicle emissions. And, and I cite that to illustrate um, how we've got to engage with the public. And if, if, if we don't engage with the public and get public buy-in to these changes and these provisions, it follows that it will be very difficult to bring about the necessary changes as soon as we need to bring them in. And it's therefore more likely that we're going to spend too long trying to bring in the changes necessary that by the time they do come into being, we're already witnessing some of the more extreme impacts of what we're trying to avoid in, or highlight to avoid in this conversation and others that should be taking place like this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so much to uh, to, to watch and, and see how it unfolds. Um, we will get back together and um, and discuss this and, and cover it on Place Tech in the coming weeks, months, and years. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for for lifting the lid and exploring some of those uh, those key topics around the impact of climate on property and, and planning with us, Jeremy Hines from from Savills. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you again soon on the Playstech podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our weekly news roundup for free at placetech.net slash subscribe.